0: I'm going to read from the book of Philemon. In fact, I'm going to read the whole book, 25 verses, written by the Apostle Paul. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is a beautiful little letter And what I want to look at this morning, and there are different themes, but the approach that I want to look at is I want to look at identity. Who are you? I want to ask that question. Who are you? If I asked you that, how might you answer that? Or if you just want to get to know someone, what questions might you ask them? Here are some questions that may have been asked to me in the past. And here are some of the things that you might find out about me. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a younger brother. I've got two older brothers. I was a son, of course, but my parents have both died. I'm an employee here at King's, part-time. I'm a friend. I have friends in this room, I trust. I live in Hazelmere, nearby, five minutes walk away. I was born, but I wasn't born here. I was born and grew up in Scotland. These are things that make up something of my identity. But they only tell part of the story. We know that in heaven, relationships are going to be different. When Jesus talks about marriage, he says there's not going to be marriage like there is here. There'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it's not that marriage will totally be abandoned in some shape or form. We're not sure. But things are going to be different. There are profounder things that are never going to change that help shape your and my identity. And in this short letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he talks about identity on different levels. Now Paul's writing this letter from prison. He's under house arrest in Rome in all probability. Now, Rome is over 1,300 miles away from where Philemon lives in Colossae, which was in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Philemon and Onesimus have both become Christians through Paul, but their social status is very different. Philemon is wealthy. That's clear. He's got a house big enough to have the church gathered together. He also owns slaves, well, at least one. So he's a wealthy owner. Onesimus, on the other hand, is a runaway slave who was part of Philemon's household. He'd probably stolen something. Because Paul talks about if he owes you anything. What did he steal? Well, we don't know. What was his job in Philemon's household? We don't know but we do know that being a slave in first century Rome was somewhat different from perhaps our perception of slavery in the Americas during the the 18th and 19th century, that kind of dehumanizing brutality of slavery. So, for example, in the first century, a Roman household slave could be a barber, a butler, a cook, a hairdresser, They could wash clothes. They could be a wet nurse or a nursery attendant. They could be a teacher, a secretary, a seamstress, an accountant, a physician. Probably some of the occupations that are represented in this room. We don't know what Onesimus did, but we do know that his name means useful. I'll come back to that later. He talks about that in verse 11, Paul. So the first thing I want to look at is this. How does the apostle Paul identify himself? In this letter. Well in verse 1. He identifies himself as a prisoner. Paul. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. He also. And he mentions that later on as well. Although a very senior leader in the church. Remember that Paul. Was the apostle to the Gentiles. So his responsibility was to bring. The gospel to the Gentiles. So he was one of the big. Big leaders in the church. At that time. In verse 8, he says, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I've got that authority as an apostle called by Jesus Christ himself. I could order you to do something, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. So he doesn't stand on his authority, but he appeals on the basis of love. And it's a really, really sweet thing that he's doing here. And it goes on in verse 9, even sweeter, I think. He says, it is none other than Paul. It just says it's Paul here. Then he goes on, an old man. And now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So here he is. Picture him here. Paul in probably Rome. He is in prison. He is in, under what was called household arrest, an old man. He's chained to a guard. Is that what's, that's what would have happened to him. So very limited freedom. Picture this. He's an old man. He's chained to a guard 24-7. Imagine being in that situation and he wants to go to the toilet. Having to ask for permission to go to the toilet. How humiliating is that? If you want to go anywhere in the house, you have to get the agreement of the soldier you're chained to. I don't expect that all the guards would be equally sympathetic to Paul's situation. Paul, an old man, not standing on his authority. Paul identifies himself as a father to Onesimus. You mustn't underestimate this. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now, as I was pondering this, I was thinking, well, how did they meet when geographically so far apart? I mean, 1,300 miles today is a long distance. In those days, it would have been enormous. Well, we don't know is the answer. It's one of those extraordinary divine appointments that the Lord has engineered that was going to have some far-reaching consequences. Seeds of freedom, make no mistake about it, are being sown here. In this historical context... What Paul says about Onesimus would have been extraordinary. It would have been shocking to describe Onesimus as his son. Talk about countercultural. After all, under Roman law, Onesimus, the slave, is a non person. And he could be put to death for running away. The, the owner, Philemon, had every right, if he got hold of Onesimus again, to have him put to death. So for those who received this letter at the time, what the Apostle Paul says, it is social dynamite. Make no mistake about it. Paul, dramatically saved through an encounter with the risen Christ, while on his way to Damascus, to persecute the church. Paul, the chief leader of the church to the non-Jewish world. Paul, who suffered for the sake of the gospel. And he outlines that, some of that, in 2 Corinthians, where he says, I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus 1. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. So he's really saying, this is my credentials, if you like, as an apostle, as the authority that the Lord has given and the suffering that I've undergone for Christ... He is the greatest exponent of the theology of the gospel. And he's saying this about this runaway slave. I consider him my son. I am sending him. Not only that, in verse 12, notice, who is my very heart. Back to you. This, make no mistake about, it's a demonstration of the transforming power of the gospel. This runaway slave who could be put to death, my son. He's my very heart. How is Philemon identified? Well, he's identified as a dear friend and fellow worker. To Philemon, verse 1, our dear friend and fellow worker. He's identified as a brother. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Again in verse 20, I do wish, brother... That I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. It's clear as Paul writes this letter. That Philemon is a good guy. He's someone who encourages others. You brother have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. He was a man of good presence. When you've been with him. You feel uplifted. And he's obviously drawing from the source of life itself. Of the living water that Jesus said his followers would have. I asked myself this question. Could that be said of you and me? Are we those who refresh the hearts of the Lord's people? Are we those who refresh the hearts even of people in our community? People we work with. In our family. Are we those who refresh the hearts of others? Or is my default position just, you know, tad grumpy. The glass is generally half empty. I can always find something that I, you know, don't like, or I can criticise. No, no, Philemon wasn't like that. He was someone who refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. A good guy. He was also, of course, a slave owner. Verse fifteen. Perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave. So this gave me pause for thought about the whole business of slavery. How can these be compatible? A Christian slave owner. Why does Paul not say slavery should be abolished? Well, Paul was not called to abolish slavery, but to preach the gospel. But we can see in this short letter how radical the gospel is. And how, as the message is proclaimed, that it is inevitably inevitably going to radically overturn the accepted perceptions of human identity and how we are to regard and treat others. In this little letter that perhaps gets overlooked, there are seeds that are being sown here that are going to have a massive impact on how people perceive human identity. It's radical. And it takes a while for these seeds to germinate. But it was in fact a group of evangelical Christians led by William Wilberforce who pressed for the abolition of slavery. And one of their promotional materials was this slide here, which has echoes of Philemon, interestingly enough. Am I not a man and a brother? Wow. That could have just been a quote out of Philemon almost, that was. So very interesting here, Paul is referring to Anesimus uh, is his son. So, but Philemon is a slave owner. But Paul says in Galatians, "There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all one in Christ Jesus." Paul is saying that there is something even more fundamental to our identity than these descriptions: Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. What does it mean to be a slave? You we know, read about human slavery today, don't we? You know, you, in the, on the internet and people in slavery and, you know, brought over to this country, living in squalid conditions, paid very little, treated abusively, having to work I don't know how many hours per week and we think, well, that's slavery. What does it mean to be a slave? On the other hand, what does it mean to be free? You know, we live in a free society. We can travel here, there, and everywhere. We can meet together in freedom. We're free as a people. We've got a democratic system. We can get rid of our government if we want to. D, 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 D. We are free. Well, let me ask you this question. How can you be a slave and yet be free? How can you be free yet be a slave? Because Jesus talks about being a slave to sin and being set free by him. So what I'm saying is there's a profounder level to our identity than our usual understanding of what it means to be a slave or to be free. So as I've been pondering this over, I was thinking, are we freer as a society today than our parents, our grandparents were, I wonder? I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, during and after the Second World War, we think, you know, we think we're living in a time of austerity, or we, th- we think we have, but during and after the Second World War, times were hard in this country. War costs money. You going not go to war and not pay for it. It costs a lot of money. In order to wage war, we had to borrow vast amounts of money from the United States, which we only finished paying back at the end of 2006. And during and after the war, food and commodities became scarcer. Two government slogans during the war years illustrate this. The first is make, do, and mend. Yeah. Okay, not just pop off to Primark and buy, you know... Some disposable gear, or wherever you pop off to, but make do and mend, and the other ones dig for victory, so never mind your lawn and your flowers, you know dig that lot up, and you plant your beetroots and your veg and because you know, times are hard. Rationing went on until nine years after the war, so actually, I was surprised to know there was rationing during my lifetime, even not very long during my lifetime, but for a little bit, so i don 't remember it, but <laughs> But then the 1960s came. I was a teenager at that time. 1960s came. Let's throw off the restraints of our parents. You know, we want to be free. We want to do what we want to do. The pill. Wow. Fantastic invention, the pill. We can have sex. We can do what we like. No consequences. Abortion. Yeah, we can sort that out as well. The cry is now, make love, not war. A cry to become free. But hasn't made us free. I think not. I think we're even more tangled up than before. We're not even sure as a society what it means to be male and female. Well, I personally am, but when you read on the internet, it's a quagmire of nonsense. Philemon here is a dear friend and fellow worker, a brother, and also a slave owner. But the Apostle Paul has lobbed, if you like, a gospel grenade into that situation. He has sown the seed by describing... He doesn't appeal for the abolition of slavery, but he describes the slave. He's my son. He's my heart. Wow, this is dynamite. So how's does Onesimus identify? Well, as I said, verse 10, Paul's son... He says, I appeal to you for my son, Anesimus. who became my son while I was in chains. Verse 11, Paul uses here, he says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Because the, the name Anesimus means useful. So, in one sense, useless, useful. Words are powerful. What we say to one another, what we say to people, and I would appeal to parents in particular, what you say to your children can have a powerful effect on them. And it's not surprising because we as human beings are made in the image of God. And when God wanted to create things, what did he do? He spoke. Because his words got power. So it shouldn't surprise us that as made in the image of God, our words can have power as well. And I can remember many, many moons ago, someone sharing about something that happened to them when they were a boy. Thinking think they about 10 years old. And they were working with their dad, maybe in a little workshop or a shed. They were doing something. And the little boy was finding it difficult to do. And dad turned around to that little boy and he said to him this, you're useless. Stab in the heart to that little boy that he kept with him well into his 50s and 60s. You know, and I thought, run, you've got to be careful what you say to your kids. Just be very careful. You might not approve of their behavior. That's one thing. But them as human beings and as people, don't rubbish them. Never do that. And I've tried never to do it. And I hope, I hope to a degree I have succeeded. Anyway, Anesimus is identified here. talked about useless and useful. Perhaps you have had negative things said about you as a person that have affected how you see yourself. Maybe at school. Maybe by brothers or sisters. Maybe by parents. In different situations, maybe by your employer. They've said things to you about who you are as a person that have affected your life. Here, Paul describes Anesimus in different terms. He describes him as a dear brother, a fellow man. Verse 16, he says to Philemon, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother, He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul gives Onesimus dignity and reestablishes Onesimus' dignity and identity in line with the gospel. And that's what we need to do. Reestablish our sense of identity. And you perhaps, you're sitting here today and it's resonating with you. And I want to encourage you today to reestablish your sense of identity in line with the gospel. You know, we are seeking uh, at Kings here to get into the world of, of addiction in order for people to be free from it. We're seeking to get into the world of prostitution in order to get people free from it. Why? Because we want their sense of identity to be lined up with the gospel. We want to give them back the sense of identity that God wants for them. We want to see the potential that God has put in every single person be completely released. And God wants to see that in you too. Do you know something? There is huge potential in you that is not yet realized. I praise the Lord that God is real life. If you've given your life to Christ, God is realizing the potential that is in your life. But I want to tell you this, regardless of your age, regardless of where you are, there's more to come. There's more blessing that God wants to bestow on you, and through you. Hallelujah. Do you believe that? That God wants to do more in your life. Do you think he's come to the end of the work that he wants to do in you? No, no, no. He's got his sleeves rolled up as he looks at you. And he's delighting in the work that he wants to do in you and me because there's more to be released. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. More untapped resources. Deep calls unto deep, it says in the Psalms. And the depth of the Holy Spirit calls out to the depth in your life. To say, there's more to come that I want to release in you. You haven't arrived yet. There's more to come. And we need our sense of identity and who we are to be lined up with the truth of the gospel. And whatever, the, the, whatever negative words may have been said to you in the past, the Lord wants to undo it. Because who the son sets free, what does he do? He sets free indeed. And that's one of the things that the Lord would set us all free from. Those negative things that have been said about our identity in the past. That that have shaped and are shaping our life. God wants to set us free from it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Onesimus is identified as useful. A dear brother and a fellow man. So what about your and my identity? Verse 17 and 18. So if you think of me as your partner. Welcome him back, i.e. Anesimus back, just as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to my account. So what's Paul seeking here? Well, he's seeking gospel truth. He's seeking reconciliation between Philemon and Anesimus. Anesimus, the runaway slave. Philemon, the owner. Anesimus could be put to death. And here Paul's saying, he's my son. If he owes you anything, I will pay it. And the gospel is about reconciliation between us and God. And Paul offers to pay the debt. Jesus offers to pay the debt of obedience that we owe to God. How amazing is that? And as we take up God's offer to be reconciled to him through the sacrificial death of Christ, which we're going to remember in a moment as we break bread, something profound happens in us That changes our identity forever. And John the Apostle writes about it. At the beginning of his gospel. Of Jesus he says. He came to his own country. But his own people did not receive him. Some however did receive him. And you're sitting here today. He didn't write that. But I'm just saying it. (laughs) And believed in him. So he gave them the right. To become God's children. They did not become God's children by natural means. That is by being born as the children of a human father. God himself was our father. I love that song that we sing. That simple song. And I've said it before. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. Because we've got an enemy called Satan. The liar. The accuser of the brethren. Subtle is he. And he comes along. And he says. If God is a good, good father. Why has that happened? Why are you going through that? Why have your prayers not been answered? If he is a good, good father. We have to remind ourselves of the truth. That God is a good, good father who loves us. And as we break bread together this morning. We remember that. You are a good, good father. Why? Because you sent your beloved son. Your only begotten son. Your tender heart. The Lamb of God, the innocent one. You sent him who came. No fault was found in him. No sin was found in him. And he comes and he is led like a lamb to the slaughter. Why? Because God is good. God is good. And God is love. And God loves you. And we come back to that this morning and we remind ourselves of our new identity that we have through what Jesus has done. You're a good, good father. And I am loved by you. And just in case we didn't get it, the apostle Peter reminds us, For through the living and eternal word of God, you have been born again as the children of a parent who is immortal, not mortal. And then Paul reminds us as well, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You know, sometimes we think about heaven. What's it going to be like? Is it going to be like angels sitting in the cloud playing harps? Probably not. (laughs) You know, what's it going to be like? Um, It's going to be wonderful. The the earth's going to be renewed. Just think about it. No sin on the earth. No need to lock your door in your mansion that Jesus is preparing for you. No key, in fact. You just don't need to because nobody's going to steal anything. Built to walk the streets at night, except there won't be night. I know that, but never mind. Uh, In in complete safety. But the new creation's already begun. It's already begun. It's begun in you if you've given your life to Christ. There's a new creation that God has birthed in you. You're a good, good father. When you're reconciled to God through Christ's sacrifice, you gain a new eternal identity, regardless of your wealth or lack of it. Regardless of your education or lack of it. Regardless of your ethnicity. Regardless of your standing in society. Regardless of your age or any abilities you may or may not have. Philemon and Onesimus are brothers together on an equal footing in God's sight. And that's the gospel coming and breaking down barriers. And God's power as at work in you and me. Jesus comes and he says, whoever the Son sets free shall be free indeed. And God is at work in all of us to bring that truth to bear. God is not finished with you yet. He's only just got going. He's rolled up his sleeves. He's working on you. The end has not yet come. It doesn't come until he says it has. But in the meantime, he's at work in order to shape our identity the way it really is. The children of God, loved by him. We're joined together with Christ, and nothing can separate us from His love. You can be free, but be enslaved. You can be a slave, but be free. I started off by saying I was a husband, a father, a brother, and so on, all true. But something profounder has happened. That has affected my identity. And if you've given your life to Christ. Something profounder has happened. That has affected your identity forever. Whatever negative words may have been spoken to you. That has shaped your life. God speaks over you. The most powerful word of all. You're my child. That's what I want you to know. That's what I want that will shape your identity. You are my child and I love you and I gave my life for you. And nothing and no one, no power in heaven, no power in earth, no power in hell will ever be able to separate you from my love. Let's allow these truths to shape our identity as we go out into the world. Let's be those who are joined together with Christ and let's be those who got and refresh the world at large. It's a big ask. I realize that. But you're dearly loved by God. God now shapes your identity. And the new creation has begun in you. Amen. Amen. Amen.